Welcome to a special edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. I'm Neil McCready. Uh, today, we talked to Dr. Mike CMD of uh, rebelgrove.com. Uh, he's probably prefers to be go to go by Dr. Michael Cunningham. He's down in uh, Ocean Springs, D'Iberville, down in the uh, Mississippi area. He was kind enough to give us uh, almost an hour of, of his time, about 50 minutes or so. We talked a lot about coronavirus uh a lot of COVID-19 related topics that uh, people have been uh, asking him about on the rebelgrove.com message board and um, said we would do this late last week. I uh, pushed it back a little. I'm kind of glad I did because a lot of new data has emerged since then. It gave us an opportunity to have a a much more uh, comprehensive conversation. I think, I think you'll enjoy it. It's pretty interesting. Um, A lot of, a lot of opinions. Uh, Dr. Cunningham clearly uh, understands this uh, virus has done a lot of studying of the data, of the numbers, and so uh, there's a lot to get to, and we'll get to it here in a moment. First, I just want to tell you real quickly, not going to go through all the typical ad readers on this particular podcast, but a special thanks to the people at Oxford, Exxon, Ben Craddock, and all the people at Craddock Oil who uh, make this podcast possible over the years. They're doing a lot of things for the community right now to try to help as uh, Mississippi prepares for what most people think is the peak of coronavirus here in the next uh, couple of weeks here in this state and uh, in this community. Please support them when you come to town. Uh, The Oxford Exxon, right next door to the Oxford Crystal, another advertiser at MPW Digital. You can uh, fuel up in both places, drive through uh, delivery options there at the Oxford Crystal as well. Take care of them. They've taken care of us. We would appreciate it. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's taken care of us all these years as well. Next time you're in the market for a vehicle, give Corey and the people at Clark Ford a call. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey. Tell him what Ford product you're looking for. He's going to send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. 662-257-1900. So here is Dr. Michael Cunningham joining us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline on this special edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Dr. Michael Cunningham, kind enough to join us here on the show. Uh, Dr. Mike, appreciate the time. You've uh, you've made quite a name for yourself on the message board. And I'm sorry this took a, a few extra days to get done, but I, I told people we would get to it, and, and here we are. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here, Neil. So we're taping this on. Uh, it's, with this deal, it feels like you got to tell people when things were taped because things change so rapidly at times. We're taping this on April the 8th, late morning. Uh, what's today? Wednesday. So... Uh, We'll start here with where where it stands today at this moment. Obviously, by the time people hear this on the ninth, it could be a different story. But midday on on April the eighth, what, what what's the landscape look like to you? Um, I mean, it's been looking pretty good trend wise, um, uh, especially when you look at New York. Um, I think it, the the issue with this disease is everybody wants to know, you know, when kind of at the peak and when are we going to be on the back end of this and kind of recovering in a sense um the the problem is that the the death lag the disease looks like in most places about a week um so if you look at the cases in new york uh, they peaked you know about a week ago um and death seem to be peaking around now which makes you know a lot of sense um so uh, and new york's numbers as i've mentioned on the board many times are, are, are driving the united states numbers um, as they account for essentially 50% of the cases. Um, so I think New York's going to have a pretty rough week, um, at least from this past Monday until uh, Friday. We'll see on Friday what happens. Um, given the reduction in hospitalizations, ICU admissions, intubations that have been occurring daily uh, with the press conferences from New York, um, I anticipate New York to have a much better week next week. Why did New York, I mean, look, I've, I've been to New York. I've been to most of the major cities in the U.S. I understand that it's it's unique in its uh, in its makeup and the way that people are, are kind of stacked on top of one another in Manhattan and Brooklyn and the Bronx. I get it. Why did New York struggle with this? In, in have Why was it such an epicenter and places where, frankly, you would think would have been San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles to some degree, Philadelphia, uh, Boston, places like that, really never saw numbers, at least to this point, never saw numbers that peaked the way that, that New York did. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think international travel to New York is obviously one of those. And while California had that, um, uh, I can get to California in just a second, but I think all of the international flights from Wuhan to, to New York played a large role. Um, but New York also has uh, a much denser population uh, than some of the other areas that you mentioned. Um, and mass transit, uh, I believe, plays probably a pretty large role in what's happened in New York. Um, New York also, while has some of the best hospitals in the world and best physicians in the world, the hospital system wasn't doing that well. Um, I don't know how much of a role that plays. Uh, that's going to be for people to talk about later. Uh, but I think population density, mass transit, international travel from China, um, large vector introduction by the international travel from China, um, and I think relative to other places like California and even Florida is going to be just weather um, is probably going to be playing a role. There has been some data that says this virus is less transmissible um, in heat and humidity. Um, and, you know, if you if you look at things like influenza and other viral diseases, they tend to be a, a bit seasonal. Um, so that could certainly be pay, playing a role Uh but I think it's pretty multifactorial. They also had a celebration of Chinese New Year there, um, and, you know, that probably was a, a mass spread event as well. Um, and so I think that between those several factors, um, I, I think that's it. It's going to be interesting to see what the epidemiologists and uh, infectious disease experts there do afterwards um are they going to go and culture subway trains and all these other places to kind of figure out what you know what happened here because it is definitely something that needs large-scale investigation uh over the over the course of the next uh probably couple of years yeah there's gonna um, there's gonna be a lot of stuff for years to come people are going to look back on this and in any number of ways there's going to be a lot of uh books and movies and stories and conversations and investigations and all sorts of things that are going to go into what what all happened here yeah absolutely uh i agree with that 100 percent. california kind of got it right to a degree though right i mean we always criticize california and for and, and usually it's deserved but they sort of locked down travel a lot earlier than than new york did for example and it looks like they've benefited from that yeah they actually had their first case before new york did uh, which um, is or first confirmed case, I should say. Um, so yeah, they they were uh, much quicker uh, to pull the trigger on uh, on social distancing, um, and and that's probably played a role uh, for them. I, I don't know how much uh, we're going to see as Florida pans out, because as you know, Florida was one of the latest ones to to do that, um, at least from a um, uh, you know it took them a while to close beaches and um they're still doing uh as far as i'm aware unless that changed in the last couple of days is church services there they consider essential so it's going to be um interesting to see what happens in florida uh people are expecting uh that state to jump up in cases um i really haven't seen that i mean they're going to have cases uh obviously but there's been no inflection point that you're looking for there like you saw in places like new york and even uh, Detroit uh, uh, had an inflection point. If you if you look at the the graphs for these new cases, um, and, and but California never had that. California has just been a smooth line the entire time. Um, and in particular, what's most incredible about California is San Francisco. Right. Exactly. I mean, they 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 have less than a thousand cases uh, total, um, and uh, I think that. Um, that that's that's going to be a it's, they're going to be a great case study uh, because there are other places that you look at that locked down massively early like Spain and France and Italy who didn't fare nearly as well. Um, so the question is then going to become well why? Uh, yeah, because you know, San, Francisco, places, San Francisco San yeah, Francisco doesn't have the benefit of heat. It's cold in San Francisco, quite frankly. I mean, there's it is you know I mean there's, it's windy though. It's windy. Yeah, it, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's it's uh there's, there's a, a tremendous Asian population there. There's a lot of travel. It's one of the busier airports in the world. Uh, there's there's just a it's mind boggling really that that they've not. I expected, and I'm not an epidemiologist. I have no way to to know it just from a. Just a person who's been to both cities, I expected San Francisco to have similar troubles as, as New York did, and that to this point has not happened. 
Yeah, I, I thought L.A. would be more than San Francisco. At least San Francisco is a little more spread out than places like L.A. But um, I, I, I mean, L.A. is pretty spread out as well. But the the the, the homeless population was what scared me in, in L.A. Because uh, I felt it, it just seemed to me that it could get in there and, and wreak havoc in that population because it's pretty unsanitary conditions um, in places like Skid Row. So, uh, but yeah, the California in total has just been a complete surprise and. Uh, eventually somebody's going to figure out why. I, I don't know that you can attribute the whole thing to social distancing, um, but I think certainly that has helped. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, the The question is going to be, uh, from a social distancing perspective for places like California, does that make a second wave for them more likely? Uh, and I think most epidemiologists would argue yes, uh, unless a vaccine is developed. Um, and so that would be my concern with places like California that locked down early and uh, prevented um, infection spread. I mean, they don't have any herd immunity, essentially, at all, uh, whereas places like New York are going to have a pretty decent amount of herd immunity uh, when, uh, when this is over, uh, and, and that's going to play a big role in any kind of second wave. And I, I, I don't know how much of a second wave there's going to be. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, an interesting thing to see in these places that lock down early to prevent, uh, the first wave, what happens, uh, in the upcoming fall and winter season for them. Yeah. That's what I wanted to get to with you is, is in a minute is, you know, look, there's the data is everywhere. There's the, the, the all the models appear to be basically flawed, which is what you expect because models are built on assumptions and. Every junior high school football coach talks about what happens when you assume, and, and uh, you know, and there's a lot of truth to that. And that's, I'm not the guy that I've read now. I've spent the last four or five days reading about multiple models, and and it coming up with a model that would actually work, I think, would take a lot of luck. But to, to get back to what what is it that we still don't know about the coronavirus? We what, this particular one, COVID nineteen. We've talked about seasonality. No one really knows. I mean, I think there's a suspicion that that maybe it's going to be seasonal. You've talked about the resurgence a little bit. In in some places, it, it, there was a resurgence. Um, in other places, they're still sort of waiting. What what is there still that's kind of unknown about what exactly this thing is? Yeah, I, I, well, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we know that it's 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 pretty contagious. Um, uh, the, uh, it's definitely a little more contagious than I initially had suspected. Um, you know, you see these studies where it's living on surfaces for quite some time. I mean, take the cruise ship, for example. I mean, 17 days after everybody was gone, um, off that ship, they went in and found and, and did viral cultures on this, on multiple surfaces on the ship and it was still there. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Um, I, I don't know how many um, viruses can live that long on surfaces, but it's got to be a pretty small number. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and of course, that scares people, uh, rightfully so. Um, and so, that one of the things we don't know is is number one, well, how how can it's able to live that long on a surface, um, and as opposed to other viruses? Um, n- number two, what is what is the what is the absolute most effective mode of spread for this virus because I think that's still unclear you know I mean we're, we're told there's no human to human transmission and then we're told well it's not airborne and then we're told well maybe it's a little bit airborne uh, you know and, and, and now there's a belief that it is human to human right which is one of the oh, big- yeah, it's definitely, there's no question it's human to human um, I, I don't the, 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 you got to define human to human do, do you mean um, breathing the same air or do you mean somebody coughing on a surface and somebody picking it up on their hand and then you know touching their face or their mouth? Or something? It's where the great so, sports debate as as we get li- later into the summer. You know, we're only a hundred days or so away from what's supposed to be the start of the, of the college football season, the NFL mini camps, and all that stuff. It's what's really fascinating. I was talking to Royce Young of uh, ESPN on a, a podcast that uh, ran earlier today, Wednesday, for people that are listening to this on Thursday, and he he was talking about. The NBA is already trying to, you know, how do you, how do you make the ball sanitary? How do you, what, what do you, you know, there's no, and, and you can't is the answer. You know, nope. is it, 
is does it does this thing transfer from sweat? You know, obviously athletes sweat, and and you know, in in, in basketball they're wearing sleeveless jerseys, and so arms touch arms, and uh, you know, uh, hands touch the other players' sweat. Uh, there, there's all sorts of things that are going on, and how how transmissible is it? Right. It almost reminds you. Does it remind you of when Magic Johnson got HIV? Absolutely. I've thought about that so many times. It was funny you say that because uh, I'm kind of an NBA junkie. I really love the game. And I was watching uh, the old, I guess it was the 1992 uh, NBA, no, 1988 NBA Finals. It was the Lakers and the Pistons. It was the seven-game series where Isaiah Thomas got hurt and all that stuff. And, you know, if you remember back before each game of that series, Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson, who were very close personal friends, would give each other a kiss or whatnot. And uh, that was the big, you know, scandal back then. And then three years later or four years later, Magic tested positive for HIV and, and all of that stuff. And I just was watching with that in mind. And then I would watch over the course of a game how often a player, you know, would, would play with his mouthpiece, how often a player would, uh, you know, somebody take his mouthpiece out, chew on it for a minute like we all did when we played football or basketball or anything else and then put it back in and, touch the ball and pass the ball to a teammate and hand the ball to a referee who handed the ball. You know, I just, I was watching, I, I was watching the ball in a way that I've never watched the ball in my life. And I cover sports for a living. And all I could see was this germ just moving around. You know what I mean? And I, I think, I do think it's, it's one of those things where no one really knows how to address that kind of thing. You know, we talk about football and as you know, I, I'm assuming you're a football fan as I am when Every play, there's there's contact in football. There's piles. There's people are sweaty. Um, there people bleed. People spit. Uh, it, there's just a lot of stuff there. I don't know how you, I don't know how you get past some of that, or whether how how we have to look at it and define it as we as we move forward. Yeah, it uh, definitely makes you think about all these uh, situations you never thought about before. Um, yeah, I was struck by the Magic Johnson parallel whenever all this stuff started happening with the sports events getting canceled and, you know, how we're moved forward as far as to getting back into sports and how is that going to look. And uh, it's definitely going to look different. Uh, I, I think people are going to be more aware of uh, sanitation for sure. Um, but I, I think we have to figure out mainly what is the most effective mode of spread of the virus. I mean, that's first and foremost, um, and that's going to be – up to um, you know these guys at the CDC and you know all the all the academic labs across the country and across the world uh, to figure out you know how does this thing spread and then uh, what's getting lost in the spread though I mean the virus is everywhere right so why did everybody on the cruise ship have it right it's everywhere everybody was probably exposed I mean that's a reasonable assumption to make on a on a thing like a cruise ship. Because um, if anybody's ever been on one of those, uh, you, you kind of you, you understand what I'm saying. Um, so uh, it's it has to have a pretty low attack rate. Uh, attack rate basically means the number of people exposed versus the number of people that get infected. Um, and so <clears throat> while it is pretty contagious and uh, scary as far as staying on uh, surfaces for a long time, the attack rate seems to be pretty low, um, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, and it, it and the attack rate can be uh, it, variable between patient populations, obviously. And I think the thing we've learned is that it attacks the elderly and people with underlying medical conditions uh, far and away more often than somebody who's healthy. Um, and and the, the question is, when, we, when sports start back, I mean, how are we going to – I mean, because that, that's one of the things you've been talking about a lot, and so I'm trying to focus on that. How do we as a – as a nation, get back to that. It, it, it seems like something silly to talk about when people are dying, but, I mean, there, there's such a tremendous uh, impact sports have on the country and the world that it's definitely something that has to be talked about. Um, and, and it's not callous in any way, I don't think, to talk about that. Because I don't either. Sports are, thera yeah, sports are therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, sports are uh, the, the livelihoods of a lot of people. Um, the economy thrives on the sports world. Um, and so I think that uh, it's, it's definitely something that we have to have the discussion. And then once we do, what does it look like when we start back up? I mean, are people going to sit six feet apart? Are we going to sell half the stadium stands that we did before? 
um, for a while. It's just it's odd. Just the whole the whole thing is is going to be it's going to look really weird for the next at least twelve months. Let's let's talk about a few of those things, and we're going to jump around if that's okay. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm a little curious. You bring up the you bring up the ship, and and the ship has certainly, I, I guess. Model is, is the wrong word. It, it has been a, a data point, which is it's an interesting thing. I was reading about the ship and a, and a lot of the numbers that have come out of that where you say, wow, it's, it's this thing, like you said, it doesn't have a great attack rate. It, it, it's uh, a lot of people probably got exposed to it, but probably, quote, had it, end quote, never knew it, cycled through it, and they're probably immune. And then you see what happened in Italy and you see what happened in Spain to a lesser extent. And, and that's a it feels like it had a higher attack rate there, and, and I know Italy has a, a high uh, elderly population, and that led to some of that. And I don't know. There's just so much. It just feels like as crazy as this is that we've been dealing with this every single day for the better part of two months and three months, in China's case, four months, and yet it still feels like there's just so much we don't know. And that's, that's to me, not the scary part. I'm not scared of it. I'm cognizant of it. I'm aware of it. I... Uh, I know, as you were talking about, it, it, people say, well, you know, we shouldn't talk about sports. and uh, Yeah, but it's, it's if you do what I do for a living and you talk to other – I was just talking to Andy Staples a little while ago with The Athletic, a college football reporter. He's going to be on a, a future podcast here in the next few days. And it's all that we talk about. Hey, when do you think it's going to come back? What happens? Ross Dellinger has a, a big story out today about – he quoted a, a tremendous number of, of, uh, of athletics directors and commissioners and stuff about – options that are on the table and it, it is it is something that has to be discussed it has to be looked at and what has to happen and one of the things that everyone from the highest levels of college football to MLB to NBA to whatever sport rocks your boat they all say we have to get to a place where there's mass testing available where re- repeated testing is available where some sort of a um, an antibody what's the word that I've, I've, I've learned a little bit about this um Serology. Serology. There you go. Uh, where some of that is 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 readily available, so that we can identify. You know, on a, on a let's take the Ole Miss football program for example. When you when you bring that entire group together for day one of orientation or getting started, whatever you want to call it, when everyone's together, the eighty five scholarship players, the twenty five invited walk ons, the coaching staff, the training staff, the strength and conditioning staff the uh, ancillary medical people, when you talk about, uh, you'd have to talk about what media you're going to allow in there. I would assume that they would not want me in there covering them unless I'd been tested. So you've got to be able, you're you're talking about up to probably 200 plus people that you've got to be able to test on a regular basis. How far away are we from getting to that place? Uh... I mean, serology, I mean, I think we're a pretty good bit of ways. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the cool things to look for, uh, I think, next week is going to be the Stanford study where they just randomly tested, I think it was 3,200 people. Okay. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, they randomly tested 3,200 people with serology uh, in California to try to determine what the prevalence of uh, prior infection is. And that's, so a, that's, that's a blood be, test, right? Yes, that's a blood test, a finger stick essentially, okay. um, and and so they're gonna they're looking for IgG titers essentially, and IgG is just your chronic antibody, right? It's the one that gets left behind after the infection is gone. Uh, there are various antibodies, but that's the one that they're gonna measure, and that's what they measure in the lab whenever they're looking for, whenever they're looking for. Um, uh, chicken pox, hepatitis C, uh, you know, prior, or I shouldn't say hepatitis C, hepatitis B, when they're looking for um, if your vaccination worked or if you were prior exposed, that's what they're looking at is IgG titer. Um, and so Stanford just did a huge, is doing a huge study on that, and the results should be available next week, and it's going to be fascinating to see the results of that study um, because, you know, if 5% of people are positive versus 25% of people, it, that's a huge difference that would definitely change policy, I think. Because um, if 25% of people have already had it, uh, it, it really changes the – it should change government policy at that point right. of what we're doing in terms of locking people down. Um, and so uh, I think that as far as mass testing, though, um, I don't know how, how soon we can get that. That's, 
that it, you're probably looking at least another because that's just a matter of manufacturing. Um, and so I think you're looking at at least a at least a couple of months. It would be my guess. I, I think that's the earliest for mass testing. Because you've got to be able to get a baseline on health before you bring teams back together. Do you agree as a, as a medical person? Yeah, I think the the cool thing about teams, though, I'm I'm more worried about the coaches and the teams. The coaches are older; right. they're going to have medical problems. Right. I, the, the the players are healthy. They're 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 the they're the patients that are going to get the sniffles or a cough and a fever and never have any problem. Other than that, um, so I'm not as worried about the players as I am about the staff. Um, and, and so, uh, but there's, you know, there's gonna, there's, there's in medicine, we do trade-offs all the time. You know, it's, it's, it, we always talk about risk benefit analysis for every single thing we do. If we're given a medication or if we're doing a procedure or for ordering a test, you know, what is the risk of that versus doing something else or nothing? And I think that that's really kind of where we're going to have to get to in the next two to three weeks. You know, the government is going to have to figure out, you know, what is the risk of continuing on with this pol- these policies? And, and places like the, and organizations like the NFL and the NBA and the MLB are going to have to do the same thing. What is the risk of continuing to do this versus playing? Um, and, and, and everybody's going to have to do that. Uh, you know, and everybody's, everybody's essentially going to have to make the same decisions that doctors have been making for you know, ages. Um, you know, these are the, this is the decision that we make every day when we're taking care of people. And so, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where we draw the line between, um, unemployment essentially and, and, and this virus. Uh, and it's because, I mean, I don't know if you saw yesterday, I think they said a million people a day are filing for unemployment. Yeah. And so that it's just you know what are we what are we satisfied with as as a as a as a nation uh, from a mortality morbidity and mortality perspective on the virus versus a morbidity and mortality perspective from a from a bad economy because both of the, those are two sides of almost the same coin. Um, and I said it in a post the other day, you know, death doesn't matter how he takes you. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't care whether you kill yourself because you can't feed your family and you lost your job or if you die from the virus. And, and there's a ton of data that says, you know, bad economies create mortality from the, the underlying issues that the, that, that the poverty creates. Um, I, I'm, so of the, I'm, of, I'm of the opinion, Michael, that no matter no matter how we got where we got today, we were going to get there. And here's what I mean. Obviously, the social distancing has worked. There's no question about it from a health standpoint. It is it has helped flatten the curve. I think most people agree with that. I think you do. Uh, that being said, the social distancing has created a uh, an economic disaster. Had we done nothing... Um, and, and, and maybe that's a little hyperbolic. I think an economic disaster was imminent anyway. I think it was unavoidable anyway because had we done nothing, like for example, let's say these uh, schools, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Arkansas, whatever, had not closed. All those kids had come back from spring break. Uh, there was going to be far more spread. Hospitals were going to be uh, probably far, more overwhelmed than they are today. Most of them aren't overwhelmed right now frankly that's which where the the university of washington model has just been a disaster it's one of the one of the great questions that will come out of this is why did the white house lean so heavily on that particular model and uh why was it at the end of the day so flawed but regardless i think there was going to be some degree of of economic catastrophe because if it spreads at a level that it would have spread had there not been social distancing people would have gotten scared Fearful people don't spend money. Fearful people people don't go to restaurants. Fearful people don't go to the NCAA tournaments. Had, had they done all of those things, I think I think there'd be more chaos today from a, a social standpoint than there is, even though economically maybe it wouldn't be quite as bad as it is now. I don't know. I just think, to me, what's most most critical as a nation, as 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 businesses, as industry, is when do we start opening the country back? How do we do it? 
Is it is it sort of an organized way of doing it? Are we able to communicate with people that are at risk? One of the things I heard for the very first time on the television today, uh, Dr. Burks, talk about obese people. They're more at risk. For whatever reason, the media has not touched that. My guess is because it's not a politically correct thing to say. It, it's, uh, you know, how do when as we open the country back up, how do we get people to, to admit, hey, you, you're at a certain level of risk. You, on the other hand, are at a much higher level of risk, and you likely should continue to socially distance for the foreseeable future. I, to me, that's where this is all going to be critical. It's where I, and I've said this on the board a few times. I'm so tired of the political debate about it. We are where we are. There will absolutely be, as we mentioned a minute ago, books and movies and documentaries and the equivalent of ESPN's 30 for 30. It'll be a 3,000 for 3,000 about what happened and why it happened and who was responsible and the blame game will go on and on. But what's most critical now is where we go from here. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the, the, the plan for, um, for that is, it, it, for, to me, I think one of my issues with all of it has been, it shouldn't be a national plan. And I, I don't, it, it, it needs to be a, a strategic, um, uh, plan based upon locations. Um, hot spots have got to have a different plan than places yeah. that aren't hot spots. Yeah. Um, you know, New Orleans has to have a different plan than, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi, or uh, Mobile, Alabama, um, and New York has definitely got to have a different plan than everybody. Um, yeah, because so, if you treat if you treat the entire country like it's New York, it's the same way as treating the entire country as if it's Laramie, Wyoming. I mean, that's that's that you know you can't. The, it's one of the reasons right. the the comparison between Italy and the U.S. is is it's, it's fundamentally flawed because the the two countries are just so completely different in terms of of geography and space and and i mean you know the u.s is a pretty big country yeah exactly i mean our population density is nothing like italy's uh and so i i think that the the i mean i think a lot of people are gonna be wearing masks you know i mean it's uh it's funny right i mean it's it's nobody wants to do it nobody likes it um but i think you're gonna see that a lot i mean it wouldn't surprise me if certain municipalities mandate it i think uh, maybe la has mandated it um, if you're out in public, um, that's weird. Um, but I think we're going to have to get over that, at least for a while, um, especially in places like New York. Uh, big urban cities um, are are going to have to um, – hang on a sec. Sorry, somebody was calling me. That's okay. um, big urban cities are going to have to uh, – uh, I mean, most people in those cities are going to have to wear masks. You're going to need to wear masks around vulnerable people. Um, you know, we're going to have to keep nursing homes and assisted living centers and uh, places like that where the elderly congregate, um, those are, are going to have to be, continue to be socially distanced, in my opinion, uh, for, a, for a while, um, because those are the people that are dying. I mean, if you look at the data, especially out of New Orleans, just tons of those places became um, infection centers. And that's where it spreads. It spreads in places like that. It spreads in the hospital. It spreads at home. Um, and so, it, you know, people are going to be wearing masks. And I think that um, at some point we got to get the young people back to work, the people that are the least vulnerable. Um, and I think that's where you start. Uh, and, and I think we probably kind of have to start that soon. Um, I, I think going beyond April 30th, it, it would just be – economic ruin that's what, that's what i was um, going to ask you because most people believe the next i don't know two to three weeks are uh are, are the 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 peak the, the the kind of the awful weeks as, as you talked about it looks like new cases are have either peaked or or they're they're peaking which means that the death the death peak is going to come after that and obviously the the, the death numbers are the ones that you know every one of those people or someone who somebody loved those people i mean every, every person who dies absolutely. it's a you know it's a it's a, a devastating thing. Um, the, the the part that you just don't know is like, I, I'm with, I agree with you. By the way, the people that think that I'm I'm I get the people that think I'm cheering for it. I'm I'm a little more wary of it than other people. I'm with you. I, I don't think I don't think we can just open the economy up like boom, wide open. Here we go. I think it's got to be it's got to be managed to a way. It's got to be common sense, which is one of the things I worry about. And you know. I do wonder what happens when people begin to gather again. And, um, 
You know, yeah. like uh, I wonder what happens when people start gathering at at not even I'm not really talking about churches and stuff inside of a community, but I wonder when people start traveling again with the businessman that that travels to uh, to to New York or Boston or Philadelphia, like my brother, when he starts traveling again, you know, and he's back in Chicago and he's back in St. Louis and he's back in Minneapolis and then he's back home and then he gathers with people who haven't traveled. Does it start to spread again? How does all of that kind of that's that's what I'm I'm most worried about, if you will. I'm interested in. We're coming up. We have an election year where you're going to have presumably a convention, a Republican convention, a Democrat convention. You know, even like the Green Party and stuff. They're going to have a convention. It's going to be people get together. When do we begin having, um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, the law association has a convention in i don't know san francisco or whatnot when do those pick back up again and then what happens when they do and then of course obviously we're leading up into at what point do you you know old miss plays ba- plays baylor in houston that's on the schedule in september it seems it still seems remarkably i i can't imagine that they're going to allow more than a week or two of a college season to be played without attendance without fans it, it's such a even the people in intercollegiate athletics admit it's such a bad look that it, it probably won't happen. At what point do we? At what point do we open that up and let people take chances and get in stadiums and stuff? And when that happens, what happens? Right. I think, and I think a part of that is, you know, I, I, I don't want to harp on this too much. Not while we're here, but I mean, this is a this is a republic, right? I mean, the people get to choose. Yeah. And so. You know, I think that I think that you just have to gauge the public uh, as as our elected representatives. That's what they have to do. I mean, uh, as as much as I'm a physician and I care about the health of every person that I take care of and every person anywhere, um, there it goes back to that whole risk reward thing. But as a as a physician, I don't want anybody to die. I mean, ask any doctor. One death would just crushes you way more than saving a hundred lives. And it's, uh, I think any doctor would tell you that. You, you remember sure. death way more than you remember the people that you saved. Sure. Um, and, and so, and, and, and unfortunately the families remember the same way. Um, and so I, I think that, um, it, it's, it just, it's going to be a fine line and it's going to have to be, um, decisions that, uh, we're going to have to accept some level of risk. I think one of the things that's happened in the last month is somehow we've we've changed our mentality from mitigation of the virus to elimination of the virus. It seems, and I, I, I hate to tell everybody, but we're not eliminating this thing. Like it, the the goal of the last month has been to build up health resources so that we can handle a surge from the virus, so that we don't have to pick who gets on a ventilator. Right, I mean that's what everybody heard about, right? right? Italy's right. having to pick ventilators. Right. You know, this this eighty five year old couldn't get a ventilator. We gave it to the sixty year old. That doesn't seem to be other than New York, where they they really got close to having to do that, and I think they had to do that. I don't think they had to do exactly that, but they did have to do double ventilators and some people. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's the only I, place in the country that got to that place to this point. Yeah. It, exactly, and so I think that. Um, we have successfully, from a, at least from a, 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 most of the states and the federal government, have done a really good job of allocating the resources where they need to be uh, and distributing them to uh, the hospitals that need them. And then for, for some reason, after we got the, all that, that part's been done, we've transitioned to this, oh, well, nobody can die anymore. And I think that that's the, that's the wrong attitude to have now. Um, no, if, if, if we're going to wait the until the virus is completely gone, that's that that is a that is a wait that might go on for years. Go on forever. I mean, yeah. there's still cases of bubonic plague in the United States. You know, I mean, you know, you'll never get rid of it. It's always going to be around until every single human being gets infected and gets immunity. It's always going to be here. Some um, people, some so, people, Doctor Mike, think that if if they can be, if we can get to a place where there's a sustained reduction in cases. For 14 straight days, so for two straight weeks, that's a sign that it's probably safe to begin to open up the economy, if you will, to open to get people back to work. Is that a is that a fair gauge? 14 days. Whew, that's a long time. Um, I, I I would probably personally be. Uh, uh, I guess my question for anybody who would say that is why? 
what so so I, I mean i've been we've been here two weeks for eight right i mean just two more weeks two more weeks two more weeks um so i guess my question is what's the what's the magic 14 day number uh because when they came up with that number it was based upon symptoms and duration of viral shed in the patient which we know is just wrong now their their assumptions based on a lot of that were were wrong um if the virus can live on a surface for for example the diamond princess cruise ship for 17 days well then 14 days isn't it wrong you got to double the 17 to 34 so i mean what what's the somebody's got to explain to me from from a for a, for a math guy the math behind the 14 days because it seems now that that's just an arbitrary two two week number that people have been telling us for a while. I, I want to know why why 14 days is the number. Um, that question needs to be asked because um, if if we have successfully mitigated and plateaued the virus, right, then uh, and we go back to some semblance of normalcy. And when I say that, I mean. Uh, Regular stores open back up, maybe restaurants open back up to outdoor dining, um, you know, things, things like that, um, where the grocery store and Lowe's aren't the only places that you can go. Uh, you know, I would be okay with that at, at a, at a, once cases start to decline, uh, maybe a few days, three, four, five days, once cases start to decline, I would be okay with a limited reopening, um, and then, this 14 days, if somebody can give me a reason for that, then maybe m more things get to open up at that point. And when I say more things, I don't mean mass events. I think mass events like baseball games and basketball games and things like that, you're looking at probably the, at least a summer before you can do that. Um, but, it, but that all goes back to mitigation versus elimination. That 14-day number, um, what, what makes that the correct mitigation strategy as opposed to, well, we've all, we have mitigated. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. I think everybody would say, yes, we have mitigated, uh, the virus. We have limited its spread, uh, outside of a few areas, right? I think, I think that's a fair statement. Sure. Um, and so for New York, maybe that is right. Maybe you do need to wait 14 days. Maybe in New York, you need to wait 21 days. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think that, that, that number seems very arbitrary to me. Um, and, and it's kind of like, um, a minimum wage number. You can just kind of make one up. Uh, somebody needs to do some math behind that before we say, okay, this is the number of days for New York. This is the number of days, New Orleans, hey, Mississippi Gulf Coast or Oxford or Jackson. This is probably what you should do based on your numbers and your trends. Right. It just seems to me that the 14 days is just a number that's been picked out of the air uh, because and everybody says it now because it's been two weeks has been told to us for for eight. And so I, I really think that the number is not the same for everywhere, um, because if you look at the trends for everywhere outside of the hotspots, it's just this slow trickle up and, and almost everybody has now plateaued. In terms of number of cases, there was a, there's a slight inflection point in most places that happened a week ago, um, and it's just been this slow, steady rise since that time. Uh, and so, if you look, if you base things upon everything outside of New York, I, I think that this you know last week of April uh, is is maybe good for New York, but maybe not everybody else. Um, and I know that was a long-winded answer. To no, the question, it, was, it was a good answer. The, the, the obvious game changer here, and I've kept you a long time, so make sure I don't I don't keep you too long. The obvious game changer here is a treatment, right? I mean, beyond a vaccine, which is yes. realistically twelve to eighteen months away at best, according to everything I read from medical people and scientific people, it it's it's very difficult to uh, it's very difficult to do a vaccine. It's very difficult to to rush a vaccine, and if somebody can do it, hey man, Godspeed. The treatment is the game changer, if there is one. I mean, a successful, readily available treatment where we can get the supply chain going, which is an issue in and of itself, but where we can get that going, get it mass-produced, get it readily available, and it is, it is successful, that's the game changer. That changes everything that you and I just had the conversation about. In your opinion, in your opinion are we anywhere close to that? 
Um, and it needs to be cheap. I mean, I think that's the other thing. Yeah, right? yeah it can't absolutely. Be, it can't be a it can't be a thousand dollar treatment, right? It's right, got to be. Right. It's got to be twenty dollars. Right. Uh, uh, and so I think. Um, yeah, I know. I do agree with that. I think that. I, I think what would be great is if something, if there was a prophylactic, you know, that people could take um, if they had been exposed. Um, and I think that that's where most people think uh, hydroxychloroquine may have some real data uh, at some point. Um, I think we're going to get more and more data about hydroxychloroquine in the next probably two weeks uh, because New York started their clinical trials on that about two weeks ago. Right, right. Um, and, and so I think we're going to get a lot of data on at least a few drugs, remdesivir, uh, which is the Gilead antiviral. Uh, I think it was an, it's supposed to be an anti-HIV medication. Um, that seems to have had some success in spots, and there are clinical trials ongoing with that as well. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think if we had a treatment or, or even just a prophylaxis that made you less likely to get it, like, like, like hydroxychloroquine for malaria, for example, um, yeah, I think we could almost go back to normal much faster. Um, yeah, because, I mean, the scenario where, like, let's say I, I start feeling like I have symptoms. The scenario where I can get readily tested and, and, and I can get the result back within a day or less that says, yep, you're positive. Here's a treatment to take right now, here before you, anything gets onset that basically uh, lessens my symptoms, makes it where it doesn't progress, where maybe I have to go quarantine for a week, two weeks, I don't know, whatever they tell me, but where it's uh it's it's it, you can handle it you know what i mean i mean it's 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 why i've i've bristled sometimes at the flu comparisons because obviously someone can can get a flu vaccine but you can test positive for the flu in a 20 minute doctor's visit and then boom it's expensive but here's tamiflu that's going to pretty much wipe your symptoms out you're not going to feel good for two or three days but you're going to be back up an atom and you're not going to be contagious so there's a way right. to you know you know that with this <clears throat> To me, to me, that's kind of the critical thing. Can we get close to that type of a deal where people can can get tested? Hey, I've got a headache. I've got a sore throat. I've got whatever. There's a test. Bang. You get answers. Here's a treatment. Like you said, it's got to be cheap. A treatment where, okay, you're going to start feeling better here soon, and maybe you have to quarantine for a period of time, but you're you're we're, we're good. We've we've learned how to locate tr- locate test treat start moving past it right yeah i i i know I, I agree 100 percent with all of that i think um a treatment would be fantastic i mean other than tamiflu which has its own issues right i mean treat, treating treating virals especially getting something this fast up and running for for uh, from an antiviral perspective man it's it's difficult uh it, it, which 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 it's it's interesting that we've I think I think the ability of the human uh, uh, ingenuity uh, that we've seen on display for the last few weeks is is something that people will write about for a long time as well. Yeah, it's but where I think the it, president deserves a lot of credit because he has done a. I think I think I said I wrote this the other day. I think that there's a criticism for, and I think it's valid for the way that that we responded to it. And then I think there's there's praise that he is absolutely due, and his administration is due for the elimination of so much red tape to try to get to the point that you and I were just discussing quicker than normal. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those statements. I think it was a little, I think it was botched early, uh, but the response after that has been, been pr- uh, pretty robust. And I think, you know, and even the Democrat governors have given him credit, you know, when, when you're getting credit from the opposite side that, you know, especially from, uh, from, from, from governors in California and other places, I think it, it's a testament to what the what the government has, the federal government has done to assist the states to respond has been has been really good. Um, and like you said, just getting rid of the the bureaucratic red tape because I mean the testing from the United States perspective, I mean that's the that's the story is the is the red tape from the CDC and the FDA. Um, you know, everybody's everybody talks about the CDC, but it, the FDA played such a huge role in the delay in testing. Uh, and it, it just th- that those those missteps early on uh, in the government re- really cost us early. Um, I think the response since then has been really good, but um, the, the, that was definitely the misstep for the United States. Is uh, we could we have been South Korea? Is the question that people will always ask because of those mistakes early. Um, so, but yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent on that. 
All right, last thing, and this is uh, just kind of a hypothetical. I just want to get your opinion. I won't, I won't hold you to this. Hopefully nobody that's listening to this will either. I asked you at the beginning of the interview sort of where things look like today. What was the landscape today? You're a numbers guy. You're, 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 a, you're a medical guy. You're following this as closely as anyone I know. In your opinion, if I told you I could give you the time machine to August the 1st of this year, what does it look like? August the 1st. Um, man, I'm planning, I'm supposed to go to Greece in August, so I hope it looks really good. Um, so I think, um, I think in August we're doing pretty good. I, um, you know, when I, I did all of my, you know, trend decay curves and stuff like that, that I I was telling people about, but I I think, you know, based on those, um, you know, we, uh, cases should trend down pretty rapidly once we move past the plateau. There's this thing called Farr's Law, um, and, and, and doctors may know about it, they may not, but uh, he was a guy back in the smallpox days and um, basically said the trend up, the trend down kind of matches the trend up. Uh, and so uh, this disease ramped up really fast. And so I think that once we reach a, uh, a plateau in cases, the, the drop is going to, the drop off is going to be pretty rapid. Uh, and, and when I say rapid, I mean weeks, I don't mean, you know, in three days. Uh, and so it took us weeks to get here. It's going to take us weeks to fall back down on the backside. Uh, and then, so, so I think by August, things are, are pretty good. I, I'm, I'm still optimistic about football. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think the, the only question is what does it look like from a fan perspective? So I, I think by August, uh, we're, we're doing pretty well. I think the, the, the kicker there is data for, uh, meds. Um, and so if there's really good data on some of the treatments, uh, I, I think that we're probably close to normal in the fall. If the treatment data is not so good, um, I, I think that the, the way things get restarted for football look a little different. But I think by August, uh, things look pretty good in August. Dr. Michael Cunningham, really appreciate your time. Almost an hour, and uh, I know a lot of people will enjoy listening to this, and uh, I'd like to reserve the the right to get back with you at some point a little later on and, and see kind of where we stand then. Yeah, sure, Neil. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it very much. All right, bye. <clears throat>